Open the precious Word of God with me to Romans chapter 5. As opposed to our brethren before us, under the Old Testament and over the last 2,000 years, many of them not having a complete Scripture like we do, we do have the Word of God. And the Lord's been so merciful to us to give us the entire 66-book library in our language, preserved and kept, blessed and stamped with His divine approval for our learning. We are blessed abundantly. It is so easy to acquire a Bible and to have the only book, the greatest book that the world contains. Romans chapter 5, let me read to you verses 11 through the end of the chapter. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification." For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men, unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness, unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. These are precious words of God revealing truth to us. Truth of condemnation and truth of salvation. I want you to understand these 12 verses, or 11 verses from verse 11 through verse 21. Verse 11 tells us that we have now received the atonement, the putting at one again of two parties that were separated and adversarial. 
Those two parties were God and man. And the great separation took place initially in the Garden of Eden. The greatest separation took place in the Garden of Eden. But now we've been put at one again by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes to explain that putting at one again by describing the separation and then describing how we're put together again by the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 12 through 19. Verses 20 through 21 at the end remind the Jews that the law was not given to justify any. The law was given to make the offense abound. Adam made us sinners. We prove that the relationship is valid because we sin ourselves in our own lives. But the law of God was given not to save anyone. The law of given was the law of God was given, the law of Moses was given in order to show us our sinfulness. As verse 20 describes, but grace is greater than our sinfulness. Amen. And verse 21 tells us that though sin and death reigned, that means they are king. That means they have power and no one is able to escape the authority of sin and death. Yet through grace, righteousness reigns through eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And these two Adams are compared. Now, when we look at verses 12 through 19, where we have the two Adams specifically, verses 13 through 17 is a large parenthesis. Therefore, we can read verse 12 and then read verses 18 and 19, because 12 and 18 and 19 go together as the doctrine is stated very plainly. One man made many sinners, one man made many righteous. Adam, by one sin, brought sin into the human family, and everyone in the human family dies because of one man's sin. Verse 12 of chapter 5, and then that is stated again in verses 18 and 19. In between, we have a little bit of explanatory material inside the parenthesis. Verses 13 and 14 prove the doctrine by telling the Jews to consider 2,500 years of world history from Adam to Moses. And what took place during that 2,500 years, and that's what we cover today. Verses 15 through 17 are three contrasts, which show that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, is superior to the first Adam by three different considerations. While there are some things that they are to be compared Because the last part of verse 14 today is going to tell us that Adam is the figure of him that was to come. Adam is still a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's some things of comparison. But verses 15 through 17 have the word not in the front part of each of those verses explaining three points of contrast in which the second Adam and the first Adam are different. And those three points of contrast are jewels for your comfort and my comfort. Because they lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam is being superior to the first. I want you to remember as you go into these verses that it's the atonement of verse 11 that's being explained. The great separation that took place in Eden, which I described enough last Lord's Day, for you to remember this Lord's Day, is resolved in verses 12 through 19. In verse 12, we had the doctrine declared. And it is one horrible, horrific doctrine. It is a shame that so little is preached today of the Bible. Most church services are designed to comfort and give warm and fuzzy feelings rather than declare the doctrine of God's Word. 
And the doctrine of God's Word in Romans 5, verses 12 through 19, is horrific from the standpoint of the first Adam and God's choice to put us into His condemned race. Of course, there's the glory of the second Adam and God's gracious choice to put us into His race, the race of God's elect. The Bible tells us that there would be a time coming that was not yet present when Paul wrote Timothy the second epistle. He said, the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn away their ears from hearing the truth and be turned unto fables. That is not the world. The world's always believed its fables. That is Christianity. And there's very precious little preaching of passages like this being done today across America because they would rather have a praise band tickle their ears and someone tell them stories so that they can hear fables rather than the doctrine of God's Word. This is what the world operates under, the rules that are set up in this passage that we are all tied to our first father and we are all, no matter how young, even newborns, are tied legally to the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And that is what's declared here. And that is what we want to humble ourselves before. We want to accept it and we want to believe it. And then we want to see its corollary, that Jesus Christ is the second Adam that will save us from the consequences of the first Adam. This doctrine humbles man and it exalts God. The sovereign God of the universe made a choice for you to come into being. And your being is your body, soul, and spirit by which you are able to comprehend the fact and able to see the death that is all around you that God chose you into a race condemned to die. That is sovereign power. He did not ask you. I often make that comparison because I want to represent the God that called me to preach His gospel as fairly as possible. God did not ask you a single aspect of your existence. He did not ask you about your parents, which really don't matter very much, except the first set. It's the first set of your parents that matters the most. He did not ask you. He did not ask you about any of your physical traits, your intellectual abilities, or the opportunities that you would be given in life. He just made a choice to bring you into existence, and you can't turn that choice off. Some think, I'm going to end the pain, and they commit suicide, but committing suicide does not end the pain. All it means is that you meet your Creator God as a murderer. And that is not ending the pain. That is starting the pain. We worship a sovereign God. There is only one thing, one response that we should have. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It should be with the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because we've been put into a race doomed to die. And if someone says, well, that wasn't fair that I wasn't given a chance to have at the tree of life, God is never fair. He's always better than fair. He picked the best of your race and put you in the and put him in the easiest situation possible to have had eternal life. 
He could eat of the fruit of the tree of life. All he had to do was eat of the fruit of the tree of life. And stay away from the other tree. He had the whole garden to eat from. The best of our race, put in the simplest of circumstances, with the easiest criterion for eternal life, blew it. And you think you would do better? Let's see if you can make it till sunset without sinning. If you can do better, let's do it today. Because we can't do better. We show our relationship to Adam every single day. Brethren, the history of the world can be broken up this way. 2,500 years from Adam to Moses, that is called the patriarchal age, meaning fathers were the priests of their own households. They built altars and they offered sacrifices and they interceded on behalf of their homes to the Lord. That's the age of Noah and Shem and Abraham and others, Isaac and Jacob. 2,500 years from creation to Moses. At Mount Sinai, in the year that they came out of Egypt, God came down on Mount Sinai and gave Israel the law, the Ten Commandments, and a whole lot more. That's called the law. That's called Israel commencing as a people, the Old Testament church. And for 1,500 years, there was an Old Testament church called Israel that had the law given by Moses from Mount Sinai. And then John the Baptist came on the scene, and the Bible tells us the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time... The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And so from the time of John the Baptist until the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's the time of grace. It's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the time that we're in. Those three dispensations are taught in this passage and elsewhere. The first dispensation is the one that's focused upon in the 14th verse. With that little bit of background, let's look at these verses. Verse 12, I want to read to you again because it is the declaration of the doctrine that the parentheses of verses 13 through 17 is going to explain. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that verse is teaching the one sin of Adam brought sin, guilt, upon all of us, and the death that we all must die. This verse does not teach that because we've all sinned, we have to die for our own sins. This verse teaches that because Adam sinned, his first sin... We're all sinners by that sin, and we shall all die because of that sin. We just add the evidence to it in our own lives. I spent enough time last week, and I sent out enough evidence this week for you to understand that verse. Now, we come to verse 13, and it has the word for, which is a conjunction tying these verses together. For. Now, in parentheses, Paul's saying, I'm going to explain this to you a little more thoroughly in case you doubt The doctrine I just declared. The doctrine declared in that 12th verse is what's called original sin. Every one of our children, when they are conceived, are responsible for the sin of Adam. You say that isn't fair. It's better than fair, and I've already given you the explanation once. You don't need to hear it again. Adam 
is nearly, infinitely better than your children. And he sinned. And God set up a relationship with him that would affect all of his family. This is nothing new. Every father, by foolish choices, costs his family dearly. Every president, prime minister, or king, and foolish choices costs his nation, including the infinite infants, greatly. Everyone understands that. Every war, when a, another president or their Congress or legislative body that is comparable to our Congress declares war, we consider ourselves at war with every person in that nation, including the infants. Therefore, there is collateral damage done on a regular basis at all times in war because The decisions of the leaders to engage in war affects all those under their positions as public heads of their nations. That's understood. It's always been understood. This is better because this is at least the God of heaven dealing as the judge of the whole matter. Instead of foolish men engaging in their foolish wars. Not all wars are foolish. Many are. Romans chapter 5, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. The Apostle Paul is explaining to the Jews primarily and to Gentiles, think with me before Moses. When he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, he's referring to the law of Moses. Consider with me the 2,500 years between Adam and Moses. This is what he's saying in those first words. He has declared the doctrine in verse 12. Now he's going to prove it. He's going to bring to bear some historical circumstances that a man should be able to look at and say, you know, that's true. The doctrine of verse 12 is true by the practical consequences I know in verses 13 and 14. For until the law of Moses, sin was in the world. The apostle is going to reason this way in these two verses. He's going to reason backwards. Everyone died. In order for someone to die... They have to be guilty of sin because death is the wages of sin. In order for them to be guilty of sin, there must be a law that they broke in order to be guilty of sin. Because if you have not been given a law from God with the consequences of death attached, then death can't be imputed, sin can't be imputed to you, nor death inflicted, unless you're guilty of breaking a law that God has expressly declared to you and attached to it the punishment of death. Are you with me? It's my job to explain to you the Word of God. But we also want to understand Paul's intent here. And his intent is to tell us how that we're condemned to humble us before God and then to show that Jesus Christ is just like Adam in some respects. He is the figure. Adam is the figure of him that was to come. Adam gives us an idea of how we're saved. That's the last part of verse 14. And that's what I want to get to. Who is the figure of him that was to come. 
Adam and the doctrine of representation is going to teach us some aspects of how we're saved. So we want to understand it. Remember, this is the gospel of God. In order to appreciate our salvation, we need to understand our condemnation. And our condemnation is laid out right here in these verses. For, in verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world. Now you Jews have taken such great confidence in the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai that you think that was the only law. You think that is the most important religious relationship God's ever had with men. The law Moses brought down in the two tables and all the other commandments that separated you from all nations of the earth. The Jews had the worship of God for 1,500 years from Moses to John the Baptist. And then there was 40 years of the time of Reformation before God leveled that temple, ended all the sacrifices, the priesthood, and everything else pertaining to the Old Covenant. You Jews have taken great confidence in your religion based on the law of Moses. But until the law, until that law of Moses, there was sin in the world because people were dying. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. He's reasoning back. From death to sin to law. Now the law that he's going to prove is the law given to Adam. That it's the law given to Adam that makes every man a sinner and that makes every man guilty and worthy of death. Now look at chapter 4. It should be right there on the same page maybe in verse 15. Where Paul has already taught this point that there can't be sin without a law. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Until God's given you a law and you've broken it, you're not guilty of sin. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. You have to have been told by God, do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, it is sin. And if you sin, you're going to die. Then you are guilty by your own sins. For until the law, sin was in the world But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Paul's point is not to prove that there were laws given between Adam and Mount Sinai, though there were. Can you think of some laws that were given? I gave you one in the preparatory email yesterday. God told Cain, Cain already knew what kind of a sacrifice he ought to bring. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you do it the way that I've told you in the past, If you do it the way that Abel's doing it, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, sin lieth at the door. Now see, there's a sin between Adam and Moses, but that is not what Paul's driving at, nor does he want you thinking about that. I'm only bringing that up to tell you, yes, we understand that there are sins because there were laws given between Adam and Moses. When Noah got off the ark, did God reveal to him... Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Murder was a sin, and it deserves death. What did God burn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah up for in Genesis chapter 18 and 19? The sin of sodomy. Does he call them sinners before the Lord? Exceeding. The Bible says that. Did Joseph's brethren sin when they sold him into slavery? The Bible says they did. So there were sins by men between Adam and Moses, but that's not the point he's driving at. 
That's not Paul's point here. Paul's point here in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 19 is not to teach total depravity, nor is it to teach that there have been all kinds of laws given in God's dealings with men between Adam and Moses. His point is that there's a special class of persons that didn't sin against the law themselves like Adam did, and yet they all died. Because he's proving this one point, the doctrine of representation. And we will let context guide us and rule us as we go through verses and words in a passage. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. Are you able to follow his reasoning? There was death. Everyone died. In order for everyone to die, they had to be guilty of sin. In order to be guilty of sin, they had to have had a law that they broke. And yet he's going to tell us there's a class that didn't have a law and didn't break a law. And yet died. And all of that is to say because they were all guilty of the one sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. This is the Word of God. This is the doctrine of original sin. Churches that have in their confessions of faith that they believe in original sin don't preach it anymore. It's too hard on people. They will not endure sound doctrine. And sound doctrine includes the doctrine of original sin. And we'll use their words for it. Our words for it is the doctrine of representation. Adam represented the human race. Jesus represented all of God's elect. Verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. He's just reasoning with you. People were dying. And some of those people that were dying didn't have a law given to them like it had been given to Adam. Nevertheless, death reigned. If sin can't be imputed when there is no law, and there was sin for 2,500 years and people died, what law were they guilty of breaking? The law given to Adam. Nevertheless, death reigned. Can we think about death for just a minute? It reigns. There is no discharge in that war. As I said to you last Sunday from Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes, you can't stop it. Death is certain. Death reigns. In the book of Job, which I sent you yesterday, a few verses, it is called the king of terrors because it reigns. It is clutching at you right now. It is ripping the vitality and strength out of your organs, out of every part of you, out of your abilities. You are on the decline because of death. Death reigns. It rules. It has dominion and power and authority over us because God's given it that power and authority because we sinned in Adam, our first father. He said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He died spiritually that day in his affections toward God. He died physically 930 years later. And in the great day of judgment that's coming, he'll die the second death. When he'll be cast into the lake of fire, based on all Bible evidence, he'll be there. Death reigned. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. In spite of the fact that there has to be a law for a person to break to be guilty of sin, in spite of the fact that you can't die unless you're guilty of sin, nevertheless, death reigned over every single person between Adam and Moses. And then he is going to give a description, even over them 
that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. The word even. Did the Gentiles have laws between Adam and Moses? Just think with me. Have you learned anything in the book of Romans so far? Did the Gentiles know what God wanted them to do? And did they know that the consequences were death? This is pretty important. Have we learned that in chapter 1? Romans 1, 32, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Did the Gentiles have laws revealed orally, revealed in their conscience, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, whereby they could accuse each other or excuse each other for the way they lived. They knew. There were laws. But the apostle is going to bring up an example by the word even. The word even is an adverb that is very powerful. Listen to this definition of the word even. Intimating that the sentence that follows it expresses an extreme case of a more general proposition implied. Prefixed to the particular word, phrase, or clause on which the extreme character of the statement or supposition depends. Even gives an example that is an extreme case of the general proposition that's been given for you to get the full import of the power and weight of the general proposition. The general proposition is verse 12. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so, as so means, in this precise way, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned in Adam. The word even. Do you know Proverbs 16.4? I want you to love the word even. And Proverbs 16.4 is by divine coordination of the Bible. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even. Oh, we have another even. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Someone gets up and says, Well, I believe that God made all good things, but God didn't make any bad things. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Because he is the potter, and we are the clay, and he has made vessels of honor, and he has made vessels of dishonor. Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 24. But think about that verse. You know how men look at a verse like that? They want to narrow down the scope of Proverbs 16:4 until it meets their idea of what God ought to be like. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even... Let me give you an extreme example of the general proposition for you to understand the weight of the general proposition and the authority and extent of the general proposition. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Did God create men that he knew were going to be sinners for the day of judgment in which he will pour out the evil of his wrath upon them? Absolutely. Why did he do it? For the praise of his wrath and power. Romans 9, 22. What if God, willing, this is the Bible, what if God, willing to show his wrath 
and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Even's pretty powerful, isn't it? The general proposition, the Lord hath made all things for himself. The specific extreme example for you to understand the extent of the general proposition, even the wicked for the day of evil. The general proposition, Romans chapter 5, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. The extreme example for you to understand the extent of the doctrine of representation, even over them which had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. This is the word of the Lord. My wife knows that though I've memorized this passage, read this passage, preached this passage, believed this passage, even at the age of 53, after being through this passage many times, it still causes me to stand in awe of the sovereignty of the living God that he is able and that he is willing to choose to give existence to other spirits in his universe under this kind of condemnation by the sin of another. This doesn't build big churches. This doesn't fit with a praise band singing this little light of mine. Verse 14. Nevertheless, in order for someone to die, they have to be guilty of sin. In order to be guilty of sin, you had to have broken a law that God gave you. Nevertheless, death reigned. Death took out every single descendant of Adam and Eve. Death reigned. Death controlled. Death ruled. Death had dominion over everyone. You know, most pulpits, when they preach about the flood, do not get as detailed and as specific as they should. This pulpit is not special. This pulpit just seeks to be faithful to God's Word. And God's Word tells us about a flood that God brought upon this earth that every single creature and every man of every age and of every sex died in who was the breath of life. Infants died in the flood. Senior citizens died in the flood. Idiots died in the flood. Handicapped died in the flood. They all died in the flood. They all suffocated the slow, fearful death of rising water that snuffs the life out of your lungs by the sovereign government and judgment of God upon a sinful race. This is the truth of God's Word. And for you to make it, to ever make it less than that is to cheat in the Word of God. And we cannot. We can't go into Genesis 6 through 9 and talk about the length of the ark. We can't go into Genesis 6 through 9 and ask, how did they feed the elephants? We just can't go into Genesis 6 through 9 and worry about the mundane trivia details that are found in that passage. We need to understand that God was angry with the wickedness of man that he had continually in every imagination of his heart from his youth. And he drowned them all. How could an infant die? How could mothers that were carrying infants die in the flood? 
What does the Bible say in Romans 9.11? Does it say that the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil on their own to affect God's choice of either one of them, but were they still guilty of sin and and worthy to die? Yes, they were. On what grounds? The sin of Adam. The sin of Adam. Did every every Jew that was hearing this passage read to them in the church at Rome understand about the flood? Did they know about the flood? Did they know that when the fire and brimstone fell from heaven upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that there were elementary schools and that there were nurseries and daycares and that there were women carrying unborn children that were burned up in that conflagration? Yes. Oh, Lord, my God, how great thou art. Don't tell me about birds singing sweetly in the trees causes you to think about how great the Lord is. Read Romans 5, Genesis 6 through 9, Genesis 19. That's the flood and Sodom successively. And then you can tell me about how great God is. This is the God of the universe. You should be able to look around you and you see death and decay, and all of us being pulled down by death, know that there is a powerful force in this universe, and the Bible tells us about it. What it is, why it is, and where it came from, and how it will end. And it's all in the hands of God. All of you young people, you don't even give the time to the thought of death because it doesn't cross your mind that you're going to die. You're young and full of vitality. But it will be sucked out of you a little bit at a time until you have none left. I hope you read Ecclesiastes 12 last night. You're not going to get out of these two assemblies today without hearing it again. Because I'm going to read it to you in the second assembly. Before the evil days come. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Youth is a time when most don't remember their Creator. But there's only one way to build a life. It's built one brick at a time. And today is one of those bricks. Your life is a is an edifice. You are going to build it up with bricks, and each of those bricks is a life, is a day. And your life is a building, and today is a brick. And what are you going to use today's brick for? Are you going to throw it away? Or are you going to place it carefully in the wall of your building of a life so that you can live a life well? Right. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days draw nigh, when thou hast no pleasure in them. Death reigned. Death reigned even over infants that died in the flood, that died in Sodom, and that died a countless number of other ways between Adam and Moses. You say it doesn't say infants. It doesn't have to. Any Bible reader should understand exactly what's under consideration here. That's why I went and gave you illustrations of other laws. When a Gentile comes of age where he's able to recognize there must be a creator, he becomes guilty of sin. If he doesn't humble himself and keep what that creator has revealed to him by conscience, by revelation, or by any other means. Prior to that point, he's a sinner legally in Adam. He's a sinner with a corrupt nature. So when the Bible says, in sin did my mother conceive me, that's the nature. The wicked go estranged from the womb, speaking lies as soon as they are born. That's their nature. But they're already guilty. They're guilty of Adam's sin. This is the word of the Lord. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. What did Adam's transgression look like? God said, don't do that. If you do what I'm telling you not to do, thou shalt surely die. Did other men get commandments like that between Adam and Moses? Yes, they did. That's why we quoted Romans 1.32. But was there a class that didn't get a commandment like that? Yes, there was. Infants, idiots, did not get commandments like that, that with conscious understanding, they knew what God expected from them and did not do it. Nevertheless, death reigned over all men. How can a baby die? How can a good God let a baby die? Men say, I do not say that. I'm going to tell you what I say. And I hope it's in agreement with the Word of God. How can a good God let a baby live? Because if He is good, and He knows that every baby and every baby that's ever been conceived in this world is corrupt from the inside out because they have a depraved nature, how can a good God let babies live? Instead of railing against God, I want to exalt His grace. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So in this parentheses, while last Sunday I told you that you could read Romans 12 and then verses 18 and 19, but I told you there's good explanatory material in 13 through 17. Do you see the good explanatory material? There is an extreme case drawn for you to understand the extent of the general proposition. Why in the world would we have that explanation in 13 and 14 if verse 12 was just saying, you're going to die because you sinned too? The whole point is, these parties didn't sin by breaking a law given to them, but they die anyway because they sinned in Adam. Does everyone get the lesson? Because we get to come to these words. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Who is the figure of him that was to come? Jesus was to come because Jesus had come when Paul wrote Romans chapter 5. Adam is still the figure because guess what? Paul is still preaching about Adam as the figure. And guess what? Men are still dying because of Adam. So he is the figure. He is presently a figure. Adam is still, in Romans 5 and in the year 2010 in Greenville, South Carolina, Adam is still the figure of him that was to come, who did come, who came, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get into Adam? Why were you born human and weren't in the bear family? Yesterday I went to a zoo. I saw bears. Why were you born in the human family and not the bear family? God's choice. God chose to put you in the human family. What brought you into relationship with those humans? Birth. Parents conceived you. Even your parents didn't ask you what you wanted out of life. They just had you. Many of them would say, You were an accident, but we love you. 
We do love you. When you sin, does that put you in Adam's family? Does that relate you to Adam's family? Or does it just show what family you're part of? Sin shows what family you're part of. Now, how do we get into the Lord Jesus Christ? God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Jesus would say in John six thirty-eight and 39, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Every single one that Jesus Christ raises up at the last day, God gave to Jesus Christ by covenant to come and redeem them. John 6, 38 and 39. John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me. This is the second Adam testifying about those souls that had been given to him by God the Father. Hebrews 2.13 tells us that he will stand before God and say, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. God gave us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the antitype or the fulfillment of the figure that Adam was. Adam is the figure of him that was to come. God gave us to the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us that He has saved us and called us, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Someone says, well, it's not fair for me to die and for me to go to hell because of Adam's sin. It's better than fair. He chose, knowing which was the greatest of our race, and put the greatest of our race in the greatest situation in the Garden of Eden. If you're better than Adam, then live your life from this day forward without sin. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. It's grace. If God were fair, there wouldn't be a single one saved. If you were God, there wouldn't be anyone saved. And if I was God, there wouldn't be anyone saved. Because the way that we treat God day after day after day in rebelling against all His mercies in our lives and sinning against Him, we would be just like God threatened He would be in the days of Israel of old when He told Moses to stand back and let me burn this nation up and I'll make a new nation out of you, Moses. And Moses would fall on his face and beg for... And that was the church that he was talking about. That wasn't the Philistines and the Canaanites because he did that to them. But that was the church that he was speaking about. The doctrine of representation. It's not a possibility. There isn't a possibility of you getting into Adam. God puts you in Adam. Adam is your representative and he's my representative. And we are guilty for his sin, and this is the Word of God in Romans chapter 5. It doesn't matter whether you ever hear about Adam. Are there people on earth that have never heard about Adam? Are they going to suffer the consequences of Adam anyway? 
Are there those that have never sinned like Adam sinned and yet suffer the consequences of Adam anyway? Yes. When we sin, does that put us in Adam or just show that we're already in Adam? It's just evidence of being there. So it is in Christ. God put us in the Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. Jesus Christ is our representative, and He kept the law of God perfectly and died a substitutionary death on the cross to pay for all our sins, to pay for Adam's sin and the guilt that was upon us, and to give us His perfect righteousness. Whether you hear about Jesus Christ or not doesn't have a thing to do with whether God chose you in Jesus Christ or not. When you hear about Jesus Christ and you believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and you bring forth works consistent with that faith, that doesn't put you into Christ legally. That simply is the evidence you are in Christ legally. That is how we get into Christ practically, and that is how we lay hold of Jesus Christ, is to believe on Him. When the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, that doesn't put a person into Christ That puts assurance in your heart that you're in Christ because only believers have the evidence of being in Christ. An unbeliever, there is no evidence of being in Christ. We don't believe in all these millions or billions of unconverted elect running around that God put in Christ before the foundation of the world but never believe the gospel and hate Jesus Christ their entire lives and live according to the lust of the flesh. There's no evidence of that in the Word of God. But there is evidence in the Word of God of some of God's elect not living converted lives. They're found in Romans chapter 11, and we'll get to them. They're found in 1 Corinthians 10. They're found in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. We were put in Adam by the choice of God, and we were put in the second Adam by the choice of God. As in Adam all die, every single one of the human family, no matter if they're only conceived for five minutes before their mother suffers death and therefore they suffer death, they're going to suffer death because the Bible says, as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Who are the all in Jesus Christ? All that the Father gave Him. How do we know that we're in Christ? The Bible tells you how to make your calling and election sure. It's to take faith and add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and the other five things in Second Peter chapter 1 that total eight things that describe a man who's elect. An elect man is one who has been put in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second sermon today is going to be a life well lived. If you live a life that is, that is well or good based on God's description, that is the evidence of eternal life. Never would we teach you can earn your way to heaven by good works, but you can certainly secure your assurance of eternal life by good works. Because that is what the Bible teaches. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's plenty of people in hell that believed. Go read about them in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. Jesus spoken to those that believed on Him and called them the children of the devil. The devils believe and tremble but they're going to spend eternity in hell. It is faith with works that prove the faith to be sincere and valid is how we lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we lay hold of eternal life. What a glorious Savior who is the figure of Him that was to come. As terrible as Adam is because his one sin 
takes all of us down in death by three different kinds, spiritual death, physical death, and the second death, the Lord Jesus Christ is greater yet. By His representation, He delivers us from the wrath to come. He saves us from our sins. He gives us His righteousness. He saves us from Adam's sin and guilt. Praise the Lord! One transgression takes us down. These are some of the contrasts in verses 15 through 17. But Jesus died for all of our offenses. Adam's plus your million. That's wonderful. He is the figure of Him that was to come. Adam gives a picture of salvation by Jesus Christ. We're all in Adam. We all have to die if that's our only relationship. But He also chose some in Christ before the world began. And they shall live because Christ secured everlasting life for them. Lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Run to Him by faith and lay hold of Him and repent of your sins and beg Him for eternal life. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't get up and take confidence in your bare belief. Get up and put feet to your faith. Because faith without feet is dead. Faith without feet is the devil's faith. Faith without feet is worthless. Faith is not even the greatest grace of the New Testament. Why don't you start adding some real works? The devils believe and tremble. Why don't you add some love to your faith? Faith which worketh by love is a New Testament expression. Then you know that you've got faith that is the evidence of eternal life. When we sin, when a child sins, we know, and that can be at all sorts of ages in all sorts of ways, we know that they're related to Adam. And the more we do that matches up with the Word of God, when we live our lives according to His commandments, then we know that we're related to Jesus Christ because we're living like Him, we're living like our Father in Heaven. If all we do is live like the rest of the world, even though we may have made a profession of faith, there is no evidence of eternal life whatsoever because we're showing by our nature that we're giving license to every day that our Father is the devil just like their Father. May the Lord bless us and convict us and turn us and empower us and move us and provoke us to run to the Lord Jesus Christ and lay hold of Him by faith and to add to that faith the things the New Testament teaches and to live lives that show us to be the citizens of Zion, those that have been saved by the second Adam. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.